everybody to uh, the C- uh, 2021 recap of HR Revolution. It's a revolution of HR for the evolution of business. And uh, we continue to expand the team. And we're really excited for a new addition to the HR Revolution team, Jonna Wright. Um, she is an expert in the field, an expert in the space, and, and, and really helps organizations kind of focus on the multiple levers they need to be pulling within the organization from leadership down to what HR practitioners can be doing to be ensuring that they are providing more value and really making sure that these trends that a lot of organizations are chasing right now are simply not a check of the box. So without further ado, I wanted to quickly introduce Jana um, as she becomes a part of the HR Evolution team. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Bobby and Chris. It's great to be here. Really excited to be part of the HR revolution and evolution for HR. It's much needed in our uh, time and space right now. Well, we're so excited that you agreed. I don't know how we got you to agree to be a part of this uh, (laughs) crazy exercise with us, but I'll start with Bobby because it really started with Bobby and I kind of kicking some tires and talking about a passion project about the future of HR. Uh, Bobby had way more time than I uh, in HR. I have only been in this field for about two and a half years, but him and I just talked about how much white space there was and how much opportunity we felt there was for HR leadership today to really kind of take the foothold um, and, and really start uh, taking the, the steps necessary to become those much needed business leaders, um, voices, if you will, within the organization to really be the master translators of saying what the employees needs are and what the business wants. And so Bobby and I decided to kick off this passion project about six or seven months ago, but it was in conversations far before that. So Bobby, welcome. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. John, nice to, nice to have you on board officially here. And Chris, nice yeah. to see you again here as we recap and wrap up 2021. John, I got to ask you, you know, I know you've been following the podcast, of course, religiously, um, you know, the videos, you've been, you know, interactive. Why did you choose to hang out with this crazy group of people and talk about HR? <laughs> because HR needs a revolution. <laughs> no, it's it's yes. great. It's great. Um, I I think it's uh, as Kevin mentioned, it's passion. It's passion for the field. Um, I'm not originally trained in the space of HR, but it's been through experience and in 15 or so years of experience. And I think that it's through that it's the passion to flip it to become strategic to help. Uh, other HR leaders become strategic and help businesses evolve and really demand and command the space that they need with HR um, and their their human resources department and people department. Demand and command. Exactly why we're here. Now everybody knows why exactly we asked Jonna to be a part of this mission with us. And Chris is another uh, distinguished guest, um, obviously uh, another partner of ours from um, more of the learning and development side from his time at uh, from the likes of ESPN and uh, big names like Disney um, to really he saw something from the learning and development side that was missing. Um, he continued to saw see the spray and pray method that a lot of organizations tried to apply when it comes to learning. And he got frustrated, uh, understanding that we all learn in different ways and not really ever seeing and understanding the return on investment when we are leading those learning and development strategies and initiatives. And that kind of was the first peeled uh, onion layer for Chris, and then he wanted more. Um, so Chris, welcome to the show as well. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing, I'm doing great, Kevin. Thank you, John. Welcome aboard. Um, we'll, it looks like a great day. We'll ask you in a few weeks and months if it was the right decision. <laughs> We're excited to have you, Bobby. Always great to talk with you as well. And and Kevin, you hit the nail right on the head. 
Um, and as we looked at all of the things that have changed over the last two years and how we've all had to be agile and nimble and flexible, learning and development has been the same way. So, and so the, what worked in the past is not going to work for us in the future. And you know, I think all of us, you know, not just learning and development or talent management or organizational development, it's how do we look at all facets of HR and really try to find out what is going to be changing in the future and how do we prepare ourselves proactively to be ready for that. So we're not, you know, have a more of a reactive than we might have, you know, over the past few years. So really excited to be with this team and looking forward to a great 2022 and really happy to talk about all the progress um, that, you know, we've kind of made over 2021. Yeah, I'm excited to share that uh, as well with everybody and, and really gear up for 2022. But before we get into all the exciting stuff, yeah. um, more exciting is I want to learn a little bit more about what Jonna meant, uh, right, when she said she was not in traditional HR and she found her, her passion into HR in the field. Jonna, what did you mean by that? You're not traditionally trained in HR, but why did you find your way into HR and what have you found most rewarding about the field? Yeah, Kevin, thank you. I've, I've spent over 15 years as a New York State public school educator and through that experience, <laughs> I think what most people don't realize is a building principal is steeped in ATSs and leaves and bereavement and uh, termination and discipline and performance appraisals a couple of years ago, I had like 90 of them to do, you know, by January. So anyway, um, you know, it took away from the important work, but I've always been focused on program design and people, people programming, and that's what really thrust me into following up and pursuing. I did pursue a degree grad, grad school and uh, did a project around innovation and mindset and knew that I wanted to pivot into HR. So strategically, you know, grabbed my sample sizes in industry and wound up there. Um, I, my, my real passion is I, from a design thinking space, HR really needs to focus on co-creation. Too many times in the past, traditional HR does things to an organization. And I still think that a lot of HR departments are probably stuck there. Mm -hmm. um, so looking at practices and I ask people, what's your evidence? If you're a business partner, what's your evidence? How do you know? Yeah. And it takes, a, it takes a lot of confidence, I mean, to, to be calling out people, right? And, and we know that um, sometimes, the, depending on the view of HR, and we, the four of us have, have this mutually agreed upon view, is that typically they're viewed as the administrative party planning, no fun police. And, and Bobby stated on one of our first episodes that you hear no enough. Um, you, you, you tend to work around those no's, right? And, and that's really what I'm seeing in most relationships today is that HR does not have a relationship with the employees and they really don't have a relationship with the key stakeholders within the business. Jonna, where do we go from here in your estimation? How does HR kind of re level set or reset themselves? We have a great opportunity with January 1st. I don't know why humans wait until January 1st to set their <laughs> New Year's Eve or New Year's resolutions, but Let's, so let's set HR resolutions right now. What does HR need to be doing differently in 2022 to really, I guess, level set and get gain those that trust back from the employees, I think, yeah. but also the respect from the, the key stakeholders and leadership within the business? 
Yeah, Kevin, it's it's a great question. I think one thing that you you said a little a few minutes ago too is being the no and being the police, the policy police. And when I first got to my first HR management position, my first formal position, um, one of the one of the managers came and said, "Hey, HR stands for huge roadblock." And I was like, "Ah, <laughs> we changed that." Oh no, I, I wonder how many companies really believe that or think that. So yeah. I think that's the first instance. That's the first opportunity is look for that area, look for those areas that people are asking about. Um, hate to bring up engagement surveys and in pulse surveys. I find pulse surveys are much friendlier, quick pulses, and they can be themed on, you know, what is it that we want to get to the bottom of? But ask the business. Do not assume we know. Just like a CEO in the C-suite shouldn't assume how employees want to be treated. There's variability there. So I think it truly is whether you get in a third party or you're you're really asking some people what do they want to be asked about. And I know we're going to talk about it later, but you know, virtual work. I mean, we could all go on and on for hours and hours about that. How do people want to be treated in the workplace? What do they want their benefits to look like? There's plenty of time January 1 to start planning for open enrollment at the end of the year. So I think there's lots of opportunity. So yeah, I, I think that's incredible, John. I think, um, you know, as I think about New Year's resolutions within the HR space, I think about it in the simple terms and the simple mindset of just being human, right? We're all humans at the end of the day. We're going through this period of time in our lives that none of us have experienced before. So I think it's it's equally important in many cases to, you know, I don't want to use this, this phrase of throwing the policies and the procedures out, right? But at the end of the day, just sitting down with employees, sitting down with peers and colleagues and just asking questions, you know, talking peer to peer and just understanding that, you know, we're all in this together. We're all humans. We all have um, needs and desires. And to your point, you know, these focus groups and asking employees what they want from a benefit standpoint are extremely important as we, you know, kind of um, get into this virtual and new work environment. I love that. And, and, and Chris, if you had to carry on and, and really, I guess, put your staple as to what your HR New Year's resolution would be as we head into 2022, I, I'm not going to ask on the L&D side. I know that's where you're passionate, but what, yeah. what is on, what is on, what would you say is to, to rebuild this trust with employees, but also yeah. that respect that we talked about with the key stakeholders so we can actually get the financing needed for some of these ex, ex, exceptional learning and development strategies. Well, I think I'll, I'm going to I'm going to echo and, and build upon what we've already talked about. And John, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too. Um, you know, just based on what you've been seeing uh, within the HR community and you know just the local industry as well. Uh, to answer the question is listen. I think we all have to do a better job of listening. And um, you know whether you're surveying your people once a year, you're pulsing them quarterly or or every other month. That's, that's all well and good. You know, generally people will give you their opinion, but what are you doing with it, right? So are you listening to what they're telling you? And then are you taking action based on that? I think, you know, myself, number one, yeah, I need to do a better job of that. Just ask my wife. She'll, she'll let you know that I need to work on listening skills, you know, not just this year, but every year. But, you know, as a professional and in, in what we do, I think it's really making sure that when we are having the focus groups, when we are doing the you know, the engagement surveys or the poll surveys that we are really, truly listening. Um, so, Jonna, just, you know, what have we heard over the past year? You know, what, what's been coming up uh, in your experience, the, the things that really are important for, you know, our employees today? 
Yeah, I, I think at the beginning of this conversation, the word agile was was mentioned. And I think it is that agility, the agility of the business. Um, I think just, you know, we're all sitting in New York State. And I think that we've seen even the COVID management change, you know, I, I think through 2020, 2021, um, you know, we saw it just sometimes change daily, you know, the regulation would change from 8am to 5pm. So I think it is really remaining agile. But Chris, I think you said it, you know, it's listening. So going out, and it doesn't have to be long. Focus groups don't have to be hours long. They can be 15-minute conversations, but really getting at what you said, the follow-up from the engagement surveys and getting a commitment. HR needs to commit to those timelines, but it also needs to be the organization. Um, I think a few things that are owned organizationally now, engagement, DEI and just that feedback that comes from employees. Everyone owns the employee experience. It's not just HR, but HR has got to be willing to develop partners within the business for that co-ownership and co-creation of what matters. So as we kind of are moving forward, Jonna, you mentioned obviously business businesses seem to be out of alignment with their HR, or HR out of alignment with the business. In your estimation, why is that continue to be a challenge to find these maybe partners that you talked about internally and developing these relationships? What has helped you develop these relationships and why are they so important? Sure. Yeah, well, Kevin, I, I think it goes back to what you mentioned earlier, right? It's it's we're kind of seen as the no police, you know, for the longest time, I think. Um, you know, uh, the business comes and they ask, you know, their HR business partner, or HR professional a question and, and they get a quick no. So what happens, right? They kind of skirt around that and they try to go in and, you know, then it creates, you know, downstream impact for the business overall, whether it's, you know, uh, disciplinary action or, you know, some sort of employee relations issue, a financial, you know, financial, you know, concern, whatever it might be. Um, whereas I really think that, you know, uh, HR professionals that are doing it right are, are not as quick to say no, right? It's, it's, yes, I understand um, what you're saying. Um, here are the things that I need from you, the business, to move this idea, to move this thought forward. Um, can you provide me those things? Oftentimes, the business will kind of say, Yes, you know, or let me, you know, kind of chew on that for a little bit and get you the information that you need. So you're providing that value as an HR business partner out of the gate, in my opinion, by not coming to that quick no, by instead partnering with the business, you know, and allowing them to, you know, kind of digest the information that you need from an HR standpoint. At the end of the day, HR is, you know, our goal is to prevent people risk to the organization, right? And, and oftentimes people risk, as we know, in people analytics can then translate to financial risk, right? People being our, our greatest asset. So, um, you know, if we can put it into terms um, like that and be able to kind of, you know, share and display that to, to the business in that particular way, um, I think it helps kind of form and create that positive partnership over time. Which I love, right? And it seems like uh, when when John bring up a conversation that you and I just had last week, right, with uh, with another HR practitioner, and she was brought into the room, and they're kind of divvying up their 2022 business objectives to HR, um, which I find fascinating, right? They're dictating what HR's business plan is, um, which I find just comical. Whether they don't believe that they can actually design or formulate a business plan that aligns with the business goals and strategy. Um, but she she brought up the employee experience, right? She brought up that engagement perspective, right? It's so much, uh, I, I see these business units kind of operating independently of each other and they have different goals and objectives. 
um, but seemingly working towards the same purpose, right? Um, but that's, she brought up the employee experience and the engagement, and you brought up that it's a shared responsibility across the organization. How do we get that? How do we build that? How do we get managers, both middle managers and senior leadership to understand they too have a responsibility? And a lot of these DE&I initiatives, these learning and development strategies, they all require something called money. Um, and most people are, are, are not as eager to put up the money towards these ideas. What are you seeing and what have you found in your experiences? So Kevin, that's, that's like a, it's a big question, right? Um, so the manager and the supervisor and the leadership in terms of owning engagement, I think we're at a point in time that if everyone doesn't own engagement and it doesn't come as a whole organizational focus, we're going to lose people. I mean, businesses are already losing people. Like, you know, I don't know what the, the current stat is, but, you know, every four seconds, whatever it might be, somebody's getting a, a prod from a recruiter or something like that. So I think that the talent market is just wide open. And I heard somebody recently say, hey, hiring manager, you're the one being interviewed. And I think it's really true. Um, if people feel a little inkling that something isn't going right, or it doesn't feel right, or it doesn't feel like I can bring my whole self to work, hey, there's opportunity out there. And I think we're going to continue to see that. And I think that people need to, to realize how to capture talent quickly and keep talent. Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to talk about retention later yeah. on, but I think <laughs> that even just like, Hey, what is, what does a website look like? Is it capturing somebody? Is it getting somebody to feel like I can either bring my whole self to work or I belong? Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, I want to go back to something that Bobby was talking about too. And, and you just said it, my gosh, HR is not coming up with their own business plan and at the table in terms of strategy, why not? Why, why is HR? And that is a big reflection and people have to let go of egos and they have to let go of their own bias on both sides. But why aren't you at the table? And if you're not at the table, I, I kind of question your practice. Is it an effective practice if somebody's planning for you? And you don't, if you don't know how to do business development, then get with somebody in the business that does. Finance, you can usually really help out with that. But I think it's also, um, if, if HR is tempted to say no, change that question to how might we, or yes and and open up some opportunity and just practice just those slight practices can change the conversation drastically or dramatically. Mm -hmm. um, back to employee engagement, though, I think it really is um, managers, they don't have a script They're if they're if they're managers, truly managers, they're getting widgets out the door on a daily basis, they're they're tracking billable hours, whatever they're doing, giving them a script on how to have those conversations. Do you know what's expected of you on a daily basis? Do you have the tools you need? Those are two simple questions. I think that managers um, shy away from the conversation because they're afraid it's going to become personal. Mm -hmm. Put some norms in place. How's that conversation going to go? Use I statements and let's, let's get the norms out that, hey, nobody's going to be personally attacked. And these are the questions we're going to use. I think that people shy away from the conversation because they're afraid it's going to be, hey, Jonna, this is all about you. Mm -hmm. But if we put some parameters in place, it can be a really safe conversation. I'm glad yeah. you brought up the word shy. Um, and I want to get into tr to trends. But, but I'm not shy. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but that's, that's why I'm glad you brought it up because 
we're supposed to be in HR, right? The shepherds of the mission, vision, and values, right? We're supposed to uphold the, the culture of what we work so hard to create. Um, but the second that that gets challenged or jeopardized or not shown, right, in a meeting, does HR, are they shy, right, and will say nothing, and it will continue to deter deteriorate that culture that they work so hard to build? Or is it just an overall lack of courage to really speak up? Because we're seeing this in leadership. So it's not only HR today, but we're seeing it in leadership as well. People that are in management and, and, and senior leadership roles, that they lack leadership. Would you say that HR, because we've been kicked in the corner so long, right? And some people are comfortable with being that redheaded, ugly stepchild and that administrative function to the organization. But the four of us collectively know that that game or that, that the ability to have that position within an organization is running out. And that's why we're so passionate about the HR revolution yeah. is because we don't want to see that happen to HR practitioners. But I guess where I'm going with this conversation is what do we see as, as really limiting HR? Is it us sh being shy? Is it us not understanding the business? Is it a fear of speaking up ourselves? Chris, in your estimation, what have you seen the biggest challenge from a personality perspective of maybe some, maybe we can put this on our new year's resolution for HR as well on what we can do individually and focusing on ourselves first. And I think uh, that's a great question, Kevin. And I think that the answer is probably E, all of the above, right? So I think depending on where you are in your career, depending on how long you've practiced in, in the HR profession, um, some of that sharpness, some of that maybe lack of confidence, some of that um, understanding, it might be holding you back. Um, but I've heard a couple of things already in this conversation I think we have to go back to. And Johnny, you mentioned co-creator, you mentioned co-ownership, and we've talked about a lack of leadership. Right. So I think that shame on any HR practitioner at this point where we are today, because there has never been a greater need for you to be a co-creator and a co-owner <laughs> with the business. I mean, this is such an opportunity where we have that opportunity to step up and say, wait a minute. That's what it says on the wall from a mission, vision, values. This is what we're saying about our culture. Yet I just heard this right to have the courage to do that, um, I think, is the utmost important and is critical for us to be those shepherds so that other people can then get on board. Mm -hmm. If they just say, oh, we're, we're doing business as usual, it's going to be business as usual. And what's going to happen? We've already talked about it. People are going to get prodded or they're going to get a phone call and they're going to leave. They're going to find that place where they can feel like they belong. They can feel like the culture and the mission and the vision, and the values is upheld at all levels throughout the organization. So that's how we're gonna lose people. Um, and I think it's really being mindful of, we do all own engagement. And the other part was leadership needs help, right? They need help. Johnny, you hit the nail on the head. They, they struggle with this or they may struggle with it. So how do we, as the people practitioners, really provide value in terms of helping people get through this? How do you have that tough conversation? How do you have a conversation around expectations? How do you have a conversation around goal setting or, or whatever it might be? So I think that, and then, you know, yes, I am biased. I'll admit my, my conscious bias of having an L&D hat <laughs> on, but, you know, we do have a great opportunity at this point because the world has changed. And the, when I mean that, the ways of working has changed. Now, I know we're going to talk about trends, 
but the same skills you used to use when you were in person and you could walk down the row, you know, three cubes over and have a conversation, um, that's changed dramatically when now you're on a Zoom call or, you know, you're setting up time and you don't always have those impromptu conversations where you can give that type of feedback. So the skill set has changed and there have been some, you know, leaders, managers, whatever level you want to talk about who have embraced the new kind of way of working and the way of communicating and the way of setting expectations. And you have a lot, yeah. I feel, who still need a lot of help with that. I agree yeah. with that. I, I, I agree completely too. And, and, and just to piggyback off that, Chris and John, I think it's, it's a great point, right? And Kevin, to your point, you know, of, of, of kind of looking at HR as sort of the redheaded stepchild, they got kind of kicked to the side. I sort of look at that as middle management at this point, right? I think the good HR organizations are kind of up here and they're doing a great job at the at the C-suite level. You know, we have we have you know the analysts and the others, kind of the data crunchers, and we have some of the you know organizations that are more tactical or administrative. But you know, I think where we lack, especially from an engagement standpoint, is truly listening and training that middle management level, right? I think we as HR practitioners sometimes you know fall into you know assumptions and assuming that you know well these managers have been have been doing this job for you know 20, 30 years. They know how to handle employees, they know how to do this. To Chris's point, we are moving to this virtual environment, which I know we'll talk about in a little bit here. Um, this is new ground for you know a lot of our leaders, right? So they're leaning, they're wanting help and assistance from their HR teams to be able to support their teams and make sure that we're able to retain, promote, and engage our employees. Mm -hmm. I love that. And Bobby, I would, I would play off of that is, is the HR team ready to take on some of those challenges? And I think kind of to bring it back full circle to, to what's needed and, and can somebody, is there, Kevin, I think you maybe said something like, is there a personality type or something like that? And I, I was talking to a CEO recently and he said, you can't be an introvert and be an HR. And, you know, if I might be so bold as to say that, maybe you can play an extrovert and maybe you go home and climb into your, you know, GMEs and, and rest from the, the day. And that's okay. But I think this is not the day and age of closed doors anymore. And Chris, to your point, being unavailable for Zoom or and figure out how to schedule that during the day. I was talking to another organization recently and they're really going to try to flip to a four-day work week. Wow, that's going to come. That's going to be a challenge in 2022. And they're flipping to doing teamwork in the morning when people are fresh in individual work in the afternoon. Hmm. And that's gonna be the organizational focus. And I just think that's amazing. So Chris, to your point of, are we doing the same old, same old? Are managers um, thinking about how to do work really differently, really, really differently? And I'm going to go to um, HR reflecting Am I a talent manager? Can I help with that discussion? Because if you can't, then how are you going to gain that skill set? And I think that's where the upskilling is definitely needed. Mm -hmm. And then again, I go back to what's your evidence. And, and 360s are great for things like that. And it doesn't have to be a big formal process. But my gosh, go ask a couple of people. Am I a good talent manager? Do I help you manage conflict? Mm -hmm. And I think if we can, if I can go to one competency that everybody needs, it's managing conflict. Mm -hmm. And whether it's the C-suite on down, 
if you cannot manage conflict and you're going to coach a, a team member or you're a, a leader in an organization and you're going to coach your team of managers on how to manage conflict, if you don't know how to do it yourself, you're going to ruin a whole lot of time and space. <laughs> so I think that that's something that HR can focus on too. And I think that Kevin, to your point of like, hey, when the conversation doesn't go well, we shy away from it. Yeah. No, lean in, lean in and listen. It's an opportunity. It can be so uncomfortable, but hey, that's how we all learn. So one of the, and we're going to kind of get into Bobby, to your point of kind of uh, through the conversations that we've had just on this podcast alone is kind of just what HR teams are setting the bar high, right? Um, we've had fascinating conversations Um we know it's top of mind, right, for, for other leaders. CEOs want to see their uh, HR departments totally reinvented. That's about 80% of CEOs, right? Um, then we saw a recent study that just came out that about 71% of CFOs are now focused on how to attract, retain, develop, and grow talent, right? My father being a finance, I can't tell you the last time he cared about talking about humans outside of the profit and loss statement, right? So we're starting to see this evolution of other business units kind of understand how, the gravity of the situation of how important people are. Um, and to our point of, about needing to reskill and upskill ourselves, if HR is not ready or prepared, there is another business unit within the organization that's going to step up to the plate and take that project on. My fear is that it falls under finance because that's where all things go to die. Um, and we start to see that it is so transactional and the employee is only as good as their money that they're bringing in. I don't want to see that because there's so much more to that story as we understand as, as the feelers. Um, my, my New Year's resolution for HR is accountability. Um, I, I'm seeking accountability in HR. And I, I say that meaningful um, because in my conversations with CFOs and CEOs and alike is everybody says that there is nothing holding HR accountable to these numbers. Whereas other business units like marketing and sales and things like that, it's very easy to put a number up and you are responsible for that number. So I am telling HR professionals to seek out accountability, seek out opportunities to understand what you're having an impact on on the business and what fraction or what percentage or what KPI is relevant to that business goal and a execution of that goal, whether you did a good job, bad job, and indifferent. And I would seek to get that information from directly from the CFO and the CEO. And I know we're looking to have more conversations like this in 2022 on this platform is to really bring on to educate HR professionals to be speaking finance, to understand the business. How do we make money? Where do we spend money? And where, how do we lose it? And then understanding what we can take from a numeric standpoint, just like accounting, just like marketing, to ho start holding ourselves accountable, to understand, are we doing a good job? What changes need to be made? And that kind of brings us into the conversations that we've had and kind of reflecting back. And Bobby, I'll, I'll start with you is... Who was one of the, those guests that, that really spoke to you? Um, you being in the field for quite some time, what was one of those guests that gave you something? Because the whole goal of this platform is to, to have conversations so we all can learn. What caused you to pause and think and maybe think overnight about something from one of the conversations that we had with the past guest? 
Yeah. Well, it's funny. I started kind of laughing as you were saying that, because I think we could do a whole podcast, just breaking down our guests and all of the, you know, incredible knowledge that they were able to, to instill on us. But um, I think the one that really stuck out for me, Kevin, was, um, was Steve Brown and Steve Brown for our listeners, new listeners, chief people officer at La Rosa's Pizza. Um, and really it was, it was as simple as getting back in touch with humanity. I think his message really struck a chord for me because, you know, he talked about this simple practice. If you remember the Buffalo analogy, right, of running back into the storm in this idea that sometimes in HR, I think we want to, we want to kind of, you know, play on the black a little bit, you know, we kind of want to play on the outside, whereas, you know, true HR professionals run into that storm. We're not going to solve every world problem every single day, but what we can do is we can show employees that we're there for them. We can sit down and have real conversations with them. And, you know, he's shown, you know, through his, his 15 or so years at La Rosa's um, that, you know, those conversations have, you know, just been incredible for, you know, retention and growth and just engagement for the employees, but also just the friendships that you build. I mean, we'd spent how, what percentage of our day, you know, with, with our colleagues at work, right? And, and why can't we, you know, have, you know, a friendship, build friendships, build relationships with these folks um, that, you know, kind of are able to develop, you know, over time. So Kevin, that was the one to me that really stuck out was a conversation. I love, I love that you picked Steve Brown because I mean, headed into the challenge, I think is, is like you said, they play the black on the roulette table, you're scattering your funds out on the outside of it is because the, the accountability piece that I just brought up, sometimes it's afraid you're, you're fearful of what you sign up for, because then you know that you're going to be held accountable to that, but heading towards those challenges and something that Steve Brown focused on, which was fascinating because then it came apparent um, in, in a recent ADP research Institute study, but the number of interactions that he, his team has with the field, with those employees that he talked about and focusing on those key life or critical life events of those employees and in the research study, it said that uh, employees had a more favorable view of HR if they had seven plus interactions with an HR professional annually. Um, we're moving in such an age from a technology perspective that technology is almost eliminating that human aspect or it's the it's how they're selling that idea, right? I used to, full disclosure, worked at ADP and we sold it as an employee engagement tool. Now, I jokingly tell people, I don't ask before I change jobs, who's, my, who's your HCM provider before I decide to make a move, who's doing your payroll, but that's how that this technology is trying to correct some of the challenges and issues that they're seeing in the market and say that the product is going to do something other than it's not. And that's my fear. Jonna, in your opinion, what is the purpose of technology um, in HR and and how should it be properly utilized? Because I know you've worked on a lot of different projects in that arena. Yeah, Kevin, I, I love that stat of, you know, I think you said seven like meaningful interactions and uh, it it's important. And I think that's, that is where automation, that's where technology comes in is anything if then, get it into that space. It, but I think it produces fear for HR. It produces fear for payroll processors. For, But over and over again, we hear it allows us then to be enabled to focus more on the people aspect. Machines cannot take over the emotional intelligence of that human interaction. And that's where I'll go back to our earlier conversation of, it's not the time to be closed up in an office with a door shut if you have the privilege of being in an office or at work or not. I don't know how you want to look at that. Yeah. But um, 
it is having that meaningful, that meaningful contact. And I love what you just said too. Um, you know, and it was off of the, the La Rosa's pizza. People are less apt to leave an organization where they feel like family. So that sense of belonging, that sense of community is so important. So if I'm the manager and I know your kids and I know their names and I know, hey, ski camp was canceled this week or whatever it might be, I can interact with you on a whole different level than, hey, it's uh, dark and gray outside. That's superficial. So it is getting to that meaningful interaction. Um, and I think that's where technology and automation can come in. Um, yeah, I've been, been privileged to be in a couple different projects where we looked at how to automate some things. And I think it's, it's great. It's, we're there. We need that revolution to get some things to be taken off of HR so we're less tactical. Love that. And that's, and that's really, I think, what uh, Bobby and I got most frustrated with when we started sitting down with HR practitioners and professionals and, and had them do a two-week look-back period. It's kind of comical when they start to see what they've done in the past, um, because I think they're just caught in the action. But Bobby and I love the exercise because it gives them the opportunity to really see where their time was spent. And they see that it's really heavily involved in the administrative, and they see themselves pushing themselves actually away from the employees, focusing more on the administrative and compliance pieces, instead of doing the work necessary to understand the business and the people. And that's really where where HR is now finding themselves almost on this island. Um, and I've seen articles, I've seen people calling for the uh, abomination of HR because there's just, they're frustrated. There's people upset and they feel like they're not adding value. Chris, what would you have to say from front, some of the conversations with our past guests and how you know and, and know that strong HR departments are making a difference and a world of difference in these businesses that are putting a focus on their people? Yeah, that's a that's a great point. Um, I just want to go back to technology and maybe we'll save this for a later topic. But one of the things that comes up a lot is, you know, how much technology is too much and you know, when does technology become an inhibitor uh, and, and how does that. So we talked a little bit about how technology may scare the HR practitioners, but is it also scaring now the remote workforce? You know, is Big Brother checking in on them? But I'd love I'd, so we'll table that conversation, but I'd love to have that. Um, how do we know that HR is working? I think we see it in the companies that get it and they do it well, um, who have those higher engagement scores, who have the, the really, you know, you talk about the minds and the emotional commitment that employees have towards their employers. Um, one of the past guests that we had that really stood out to me, the conversation, um, Bobby and I had the pleasure to interview uh, Lewis Garrett, you know, with Mercer. He oversees the Singapore office and really talked a lot about engagement and companies that get engagement well are really reaping kind of the benefits because they're not worried about quote unquote, the great resignation. You know, they're still able to operate a super high, uh, you know, productivity and performance level because they put those right people practices in place. Mm -hmm. And in, in Lewis said one thing that stood with me, it was all about leadership, right? So making sure that the leadership has the right mindset and they, Jana, again, co-own engagement. You know, they co-create, you know, the people processes with HR. Um, again, HR can be the steward. We can be the facilitators and we can be the subject matter experts to help that process along. But at the end of the day, it has to live and breathe within the leadership teams. Uh, and there were some great examples that Lewis gave us um, where the leadership teams were doing well. What I loved about Lewis is he told us there's a lot of organizations that aren't doing it well either. So it's how do we look at, John, to your point, assessing the leadership capability. You know, 360s are a great tool to use, right? Do Are our leaders even aware of how we are, you know, 
how we're tracking them. How are we rating them? How, what are the expectations? Do they understand what the expectations are at their level? So I think, you know, as we look at accountability, great term, Kevin, to use for your resolution, how are we holding the leadership teams accountable, right? Um, and I think it's how do we learn how to, uh, to consistently assess how they're doing and then how do we put development programs in place that are going to help us get to that leadership capability um, mm -hmm. that we're all looking to get from the organization, right? So how do we raise that level of competency within the entire organization? It's, and it's so important because, uh, I mean, we've seen poor leadership, right? And I've seen HR practitioners complain about poor leadership, but they only complain behind closed doors. They're not raising that, that concern with the CEO. And that's what, what fascinated me, right? Why do we promote who we promote? And in most cases, in most organizations, we promote the people that say yes, that never interfere with our decision making. So every idea that we have is a great idea and we're never challenged. And we I knew we were going to get back to the reason why this you great weren't promoted. State of, of, I knew I, we were going to get back yeah. to that reason on why you weren't promoted. That must yeah, have been it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's going to come back because to me, it's a, it's a, it's a total... For me, it was uh, who stayed the longest, right? Oh, Betty is in that role. She's been in that role for 20 years. She does have the highest turnover, but we can't possibly get rid of her because she's been here so long, right? I've heard that excuse so many different times. And then until you actually push the conversation to the next level, well, Betty, with that turnover percentage, it's costing the business around $575,000 a year. Is exactly. Betty offsetting that and providing that much value back to the organization? And then all of a sudden the conversation changes, right? Um, which, which is what I found fascinating from all the conversations that we've had up until this point. We've talked to psychometricians, right? Understanding the, the basic knowledge that I think that we all can get back to. And Bobby said it best is humanizing, really yeah. seeing us as people again, not as these people that are just there to do a job and do a job and not ask questions, not speak up, just there to do the job from eight to five. We're, we're, not, we're not asking enough questions as a why. Why do we do it this way? Why have we chosen to do it this way? What if there was a better way of doing things? And that's really where I've seen the, such a disconnect from leadership teams, from uh, Fortune 500 banks coming on and saying, we're getting back to work and bringing everybody back to the work field. It just tells me how disconnected that businesses are from the people right now in understanding what their true well-being package as an employer means. Exactly. Right. It, it's not just what is that employee doing for you? It's what you're doing for the employee now, both professionally and personally. So that's really what I've taken is the people that did not grow up into HR, like to John's point, and really seeing a more worldly view of the correlations between the people and the business and understanding what motivates these various levels of leaders and speaking directly to them on how that that is equally correlated to what they want and they're not getting to what the people want and aren't getting and how there is a win-win scenario for both. Um, as, we, as we kind of talk, and, I, and, and I'm known for calling shit out as I see it, is trends, right? Trends, we saw compensation, the biggest trend in 2020 and 2021. Money, 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 money. Yeah. If we didn't know the answer, money would solve the answer, right? What are we seeing, and Bobby, if you want to kick us off, and I know in, in the area that you have now been challenged with is kind of in this more new remote workforce, but what trends are we evaluating as we head into 2022 to kind of allow HR evolution to let practitioners know what's coming? Yeah, well, I think the first one, Kevin and team, is, is really that, um, you know, to maybe everybody's surprise here on the call, 
virtual work is here to stay, right? So I think as we were going through, um, you know, 2020, I think we were taking it month by month, right? Organizations, leadership were saying, well, we'll be back in in May, we'll be back in in June. Next thing you know, you know, it's December and, you know, most of us are still not back in our office. What we found out throughout, you know, different studies and, and things of that nature was that it was twofold, right? I think organizations found that productivity was soaring with remote work, right? And the other piece was, I think, employees were in a better state, you know, mentally, they were more engaged in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they were, they were, it was showing through their work. So I think the question now becomes, um, you know, not is remote work going to stay? Or is this virtual environment going to stay? We know that it is right, or some form of it. It's how do we keep employees connected? How do we keep our teams engaged? And I think that is more of the message that I'm taking into 2022 and beyond. You know, how can we continue, you know, whether it's through technology, whether it's through, you know, formal informal communications to keep our teams connected um, and to keep, you know, employees, um, you know, kind of moving in the right direction. Because we also know, and I don't want to steal, you know, the thunder for some of our other trends, but, um, you know, this virtual work environment also has, you know, the other side of it where we're, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, working in the same, um, you know, office or the same kitchen table as we're cooking dinner. So, you know, our lives are sort of blend, uh, blended, become blended to this point. So how can we, you know, make work and engage environment um, and continue to, you know, be productive in this new, um, you know, changing virtual world. I love the blend because I think it is more of a blend. We all say balance and balance is relatively impossible. The lady justice with the blindfold doesn't seem to, <laughs> doesn't seem to see it that way either. So I love the blend conversation. And I think it's something that, uh, that everybody's getting more comfortable with. I think, um, we've been training ourselves all along, right? Uh, we're, we're getting more and more comfortable with technology to Jonna's point and technology is there to really take the things that we don't want to be doing that are time and labor intensive and allow us to focus on other things, other key priorities, let's say. Chris, I know, I know kind of in that remote working environment, right? Training and development used to be something that people used to sit in a room for, right? You, you collect, a, you pass go, you got your stamp and you went through that training. We saw with DE&I initiatives too, we saw some unbiased training. I heard people that were all about it, like this is great. And other people, hey, this is another exercise and this is kind of bullshit. Why do I have to do this? What are you seeing on the learning and develop? What's, what's, what's trending in that area as we move forward as to how we reskill and upskill our working populations right now? Yeah, and I think that you brought up some good points there, Kevin. And um, one of the things I think learning and development had in its back pocket kind of as an advantage is there was already a move to virtual learning, um, just based on what we've talked about all, all this entire conversation, the cost, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it was cost way too much money to fly in the 25 people, the headquarters, you're gonna spend three days locked in a conference room, right? Um, that, that cost a pretty penny and the shift to, hey, we can do this virtually um, has been happening for quite some time. Uh, what happened, you know, over the last two years is it, it hit light speed, right? So everything shifted to that. How that creates challenges for learning and development practitioners is how do you, how do, you do a three-day in-person training class now over Zoom calls, right? Because you, there's no way you're going to be able to be engaging. So it's, it's forced, I think, learning and development practitioners to learn how to be very um, precise and concise in the way that they're providing learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's, it's mimicking what's out there and what's currently been working. 
all of us on this call, if you don't know anything, chances are you're not going to sign up for a four hour session to learn it. You're going to pull out your phone. You're going to Google. You're going to YouTube. Right. Um, and we do it day in and day out. The same thing has to happen from a corporate learning standpoint. We have to provide more opportunities for you to be able to Google. You know, I have to have a difficult conversation. What are the four things I need to keep at the top of my mind before I do that? How do I get that information in the next 30 seconds? Because I know I have to make this phone call. Right? How do we provide that type of information to our employees so that they can get it in a quick way on demand, just in time. And it's in small chunk size bites, right? Well, yeah, we all talk about how uh, humans have the attention span of goldfish. And I know there's now <laughs> science saying that they do have a longer attention span that that was it's we, a little we, bit longer than a goldfish, but that was yeah. a challenge. We shared, but, we shared an article that said the average learning that a person does per day is four minutes. You got four minutes wow. a day to teach wow. somebody something new. So yeah, there's a challenge. And there. how much have you, how much have you seen, I guess, change, right? We talk about the multi-generational workforce. We talk about people all learning in different ways. What have you seen most, what, what has spoken to you most of what you're seeing about this younger generation and how they learn? Because I know in speaking to you privately, you see L&D as an opportunity for employee engagement, yeah. right? We know that typically the number one reason why people leave organizations is lack of professional development opportunities. But most people don't understand what professional development opportunities are, right? Yeah. What have you look at it as career development? So, so how do I get the promotion, Kevin? That's usually what we think about <laughs> when we talk about professional development, right? How do I get the fancy title? How do I get more money? Uh, but it's more than that. It's being able to adjust. And to your point, how do you help everyone in the organization understand that business, right? So what are the key things that they need to know? So even if I'm working in accounting or if I'm working in IT or if I'm working in sales or marketing or you know, research in, in development, how am I going to understand more about this organization so that I know how we make money? I know how we spend money. I know what the key priorities are for the organization so that I can ensure that everything I'm doing in my role is going to help roll up and help us achieve the, those ultimate goals and priorities. I think that's the key for organizational development. I think that's the key for talent management. Performance management is how do you make sure that everyone is aware of what those key priorities are so that everyone is working on the right things in order to row the boat in the same direction. And that's what it's all about. Love that. Yeah, if I can jump in point. there too, Kevin, um, Chris, I, I love what you're saying. And I think, you know, I just keep going back to like HR and where the opportunity is too. And I think this is such an opportunity for HR to step up. What is that employee landing site look like? Is there even an employee landing site? <laughs> You know, where can that L&D be? You know, the, you said, I, I have to, as a manager, I've got to have a difficult conversation in a half hour, I'm not ready. Are there the things that people need right there at their fingertips so that that promotes HR as being a business partner? I also, as you were talking, I also think about, um, you know, quarterly strategic meetings, executive meetings, and where are we calling on, you, you said R&D, you may or may not, I'm putting words in your mouth, have said product, product management. I just kept going supply chain. Where yeah. are we asking those leaders also to step up and teach the organization? Yeah. It, HR needs to also get out of their own way and realize it's not all about HR driving all of this. It's getting all these partners in so that the whole organization, somebody in R&D understands, hey, this is how I affect supply chain. Uh, Kevin, you mentioned, you didn't say financial acumen before, but hey, how is how can we ask finance to teach through case study or, or review of a business unit 
teach financial acumen. That's not something maybe HR can do, but it's calling on those partners and getting some quick learning experiences, whether they're quarterly or monthly, or I can't stand the term lunch and learn. It drives me nuts. <laughs> but especially, you know, Bobby, to your point of we're blended now, lunch might not be at lunchtime, yep. but how can we grow professional learning communities? And they have to be multidisciplinary. There's just no room for finance to only be learning about finance and the finance. Department. Man, it's almost like we, uh, we we told you to pitch HR evolution there. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> this might be a, an upcoming just, offering. Really it might be, an, might be upcoming in 2022. But, yeah, uh, with what Chris was saying, though, and it's, it's just such an opportunity for HR to step up and remove obstacles and promote engagement. That's my own phrase that I keep going back to. And how do we get everyone? Chris, I love what you said or, or Kevin said you said maybe but lnd is engagement and we have so many people within the business that can coach others and it's a way to tap somebody on the shoulder and say hey you're important you have an awesome skill set can you share it and teach it who's not gonna like you know chest pump a little bit there and say yeah absolutely i'll do that yeah i think it's just that the the the, the idea that they see something a future for you right i think that uh, a lot of we got pegged, right? There's a lot of assumptions. And I think one of the biggest things that I learned is that only 22% of businesses use data and science to drive business decisions, right? So if I was to ask the general public right now, of the 3.93 million people that left the workforce last month, what was, what was the largest majority from an age population? And I would be willing to bet that a lot of CEOs would come back and say, oh, it's you millennials and Gen Zers. And they might be blissfully unaware that 90% of them actually were 55 and older because they now found whether it was they sell of a home that they never thought they came into more money than they ever thought they would have um, or just level setting of priorities. Some going on into consulting to share their intellectual capital that they had garnered through the corporate world for so many years. But it's funny that we're, we're, one of the trends is data literacy as we head into 2022. We're seeing data from Netflix telling us exactly what we want to watch based off of prior views of what we've seen before. Uh, but data literacy is that thing that we're all talking about. It's like I, I see data and, and Max Bloomberg on, on one of our episodes that Chris and I had the opportunity as we connect with them and we explore people analytics and, and seeing how we can reskill and upskill HR professionals to understand data and to understand finance to really start to pull at that intellectual capital that they have and they've been building for the last 30 years. Because I always say data is just numbers on a page until you ask it the right questions. And unfortunately, people analytics is a growing space and a growing field. And these great students are coming out of universities with these degrees. But if they still don't know what questions to ask of that data and what's relevant for that organization, and we see more organizations that are disconnected continue to chase trends rather than set their own. And that's really what I've seen as a huge disconnect between HR and finance. We talked about listening, which I think is huge. We talked about using actual surveys and not using it just to gather information as an exercise, as a check of the box. Um, but where we are moving forward is data. Uh, uh, Jonna, you said, prove it, show me. Like, and I think that we need to start asking those types of questions in business meetings and stop allowing the egos and the gut and the instinct to drive all these business decisions because it is very emotional. Anytime we're dealing with the lives of others and the well-being of other people, it's emotional. So how do we remove the emotion? And I feel like data is the best way to do that. Speaking of emotions, though, one of the last trends of the year 
is is the a term that was never really brought up or if you said mental health in the workforce they were like Shh, or what are you talking about Donna, where, what are you seeing as far as the wellness conversation moving forward in 2022? What are employers and what are employees looking for when it comes to well-being? Yeah, I, I, Kevin, I think it is well-being and, and mental health um, in, in employee experience. How do we bring that all together? And it's it's really the culmination of everything that just got talked about as well. And it's, it is bringing it to the top of the list because if the employee experience isn't positive, again, we've seen that people are going to leave um, and, and leave the workforce indefinitely, period. I feel like we've seen a lot of that too, that you know, the trend and the stats around people just leaving with nothing um, lined up because they need to take care of family or, or other parts of their life. Um, I, I think that seeing a couple things, I, a lot of technology, and as I look at that, it can also be an engagement tool. It can bring people together. Um, online yoga or gym class, you know, workout classes, those types of things that can we can get together are, are people focused on health and wellness. Um, I think calling in in consultants too is is a place because I don't think that you know I came at one point from advanced manufacturing I can't say that our we're mental health experts so when you're not an expert call an expert and I think that EAP programs we had the we had a great business that really supported EAP through our benefits, but we also had a local agent that we used, a real life person who came into the workplace as well. And, and then through 2020, went to Zoom, you know, counseling online, whatever. I think it's destigmatizing um, the whole move in mental health and well being. And I think it's that focus on well being. Um, I've been in organizations where it's a very quick, um, at the top of a meeting practice where we did a check-in and we did a centering exercise. And it seemed hokey at first and people didn't buy in, but it's allowing people to be their full selves coming into a meeting. So I think it's asking, again, asking employees, what do you want, what do you need? I think we're going to see an uptick in um, more flexible work schedule and how to make that work for teams. Um, you know, I think we've seen uh, uh, the numbers go up in school systems of, of kids with COVID and, and the resurgence and Omicron. And I think that that's going to put stress back on parents. So just a parent group alone, mm -hmm. how are you going to allow for them to show up to work, but maybe at a flexible time and trust that they're still going to get their work done? Because if we need them as employees and talent, the talent market is tough right now. We need to adapt to how we're doing business. Um, so I think a focus on truly health and well-being and how can we do that and produce engagement. And I think just some flexibility and agility in the workplace in terms of that. And then lastly, again, if we're not the experts, go find an expert and how we can, again, from the top down, because this, this really does need to come from the top mm -hmm. and why it's important, um, teaching and educating all the way down. And, and Kevin, you said it, produce some data around this. Uh, HR going and saying, hey, we need this online whatever class, show yeah. the numbers and why it's important. There's so many free apps out there too that, that are at the you know, fingertips of everyone and promoting some of those um, across across the organizations. Yeah. Same with Donna, you. I mean, re, re, your reassessing is reassessing effectiveness of L and D too. To, to yeah. Just yeah, yeah. Quick, lastly, I, I kind of some of these things too. Sorry to interrupt yeah. you. 
I, I worked quick. I worked with a sales team and they had gone through their own practices of how they were all um, focusing on health and well-being. And I think that lots of those things are going on in organizations and we just need to ask and uncover. But if you're a partner, you know, those things are going on. Johnny, you mentioned a lot of really um, specific examples of what's happening, but also for those you know people out there in organizations who are watching this, some really good ideas as well. And I think you're going to see a lot of what you mentioned from a well-being standpoint, even employee resource groups, you know, there's a working families, oh my gosh, that's yeah. huge. So you're allowing, you know, your own employees to get together and discuss some things that are going on. Um, but I also think you're going to see organizations build in well-being into their company holiday schedule. So I've already heard and talked to organizations who have added well-being days off for all employees, wow. specifically April 7th of next year is World Health Day and October 10th is World Mental Health Day. There are organizations who are making those actual company holidays and giving their employees off on those days, which is which is kind of you know impressive when you're taking it to that level. Yeah. I love what you're seeing, Chris. I think it's so important. And I think the other thing too, we're going to see the uptick of that many progressive companies are already doing is the use of sabbaticals. So mm -hmm. whether it's a month off or whatever it might be so that people can really hit the refresh button. Yeah. And it's, I, I think we all know that it is important to refresh at, at times because we're all going through this very traumatic experience together. And I, again, that, not that we all learn differently, but we all deal with stress differently too, um, in the same way. Um, some people are better at internalizing it and moving forward. Others are, are more vocal, um, which kind of brings us to the exciting part of where we're headed in 2022 with the HR revolution. Not only will Jana be uh, inter, uh, are coming along for the ride now and doing some interviews with our uh, leadership. So we continue to explore conversations with um, those departments that Bobby alluded to, the HR departments that just seem to be ahead of others. Why, right? We want to ask the right question so we all can learn collectively as to what separates that, their department from yours today. And what are they doing differently than you are and seeing what things you can start to applying in your day job to maybe get uh, more credibility, uh, more influence, uh, more relationships internally to start doing the work to improve the lives of the employees while still driving results for the business. The other area of uh, exciting topic, Chris, I wanted to share with you is uh, obviously what we have coming with some of our international um, partners. As, as we've kind of kicked off this passion project, more people internationally have started to recognize and see that the, there's a ton of white space available for HR professionals. We see the emergence of people analytics and understanding where is that white space today? Why can't we find people analytics leaders, but also what is standing in the way of HR leadership not only nationally here in the United States, but internationally. Um, I, I've noticed through the pandemic more than most that our globe has become more interconnected than it was before the pandemic. Um, we've had fascinating conversations and you get to ask, is this, still, is this a challenge in your country? Whether it's Canada, whether it's Australia and, and what's resounding is it's the same challenges everywhere. Um, people are speaking up, people are challenging and standing up to, to leadership and demanding better. Um, and it's our opportunity to John's point in HR to really stand, either stand uh, ready um, for the call, or we can wither away and continue to be the tactical administrative function within the business that might only have the longevity of the next three to five years. So we're passionate about having conversations and striking up conversations, and we'll be sharing out more content through the social media platforms and various areas on which other people, ways people learn 
So we can kind of progress forward as a function within business because we know the world is demanding it. We know business is demanding it. And we're here to help really enable the future success of HR practitioners and leaders. And maybe some people that are evaluating their own careers today and trying to find maybe a change or a pivot into humans um, side of things. So it's been an awesome first year, um, six months, let's call it experience with the four of you and, and, and really as my accountability partners, if you will, to really kind of determine where we want to take this. And we know that we're all passionate about HR professionals, but more or less, we're all passionate about people. And we know when we get make HR leadership better, people's lives will improve, as well as the lives of the, the communities in which we live and work. So thank you. I'm going to shut up. But uh, closing Closing thoughts and statements from you, Bobby. No, Kevin, I think you said it. You said it well. Um, you know, I'll just reiterate, you know, as as we're taking on this passion project to try to move HR organizations forward, you know, individuals in their careers forward within HR, we're also trying to move ourselves forward, right? So um, with that, keep in mind, um, keep a lookout for HR evolution on, you know, different um, social media sites going forward. We're going to be doing some really, really cool things outside of the podcast in 2022 and beyond. So um, give us a follow and, uh, and keep a look out for some of that exciting content coming through. Love that. Hey, Jonna, since you just joined us three knuckleheads, what are, what are you, any closing thoughts for you as we head into 2022? No, I love it. I love the many voices and it's not all pure HR experts coming on. Um, and I think that's it. I think that what you guys have talked about in 2022 is it's going to be inviting many more voices to take part. So whether it's like Bobby said, on social media, other means being looked, you know, being on the lookout for content so you can be part of the conversation. I think it's awesome. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining the revolution with us. And last but not least, Mr. COVID himself. Oh, did I say that? No. <laughs> Chris Theron. <laughs> Closing mild up. symptoms. It's only been mild symptoms, but yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm almost out of quarantine. So again, one of, the, one of the, the joys of technology, I can join you guys and still do my part uh, quarantining. Um, thank you. But yeah, I think just to echo on what everyone said, we're really excited about 2020 and we want all of you who are listening and watching this to be part of that ongoing journey and that ongoing conversation as well. So keep giving us comments on the articles we post on LinkedIn, um, send us an email, get in touch with us, you know, connect with us. Uh, we wanna make sure that we're inviting all of you along on this, on this journey with us. So thank you so much for watching over the past six months and we look forward to an, uh, a great year ahead of us.